the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Better together. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. We all bear the bites of unfair criticism. And we all have the scars from the wounding of a friend that is now healed and been good for us. What are we to make of this whole issue of rebuke, admonition, criticism? It's hard to escape it, isn't it? Jesus didn't escape it. Paul didn't escape it. None of us will escape it. Welcome to Know the Truth. Today, Philip DeCourcy reminds us that whether we're a corporate CEO or a chief cook and bottle washer, we all have critics, and we'll get chided by friends, family, and even strangers. So we're returning to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 to learn how to receive a rebuke and learn from it. To guide us through this process, we're being encouraged to look to Jesus, who modeled humility and grace under the most severe of circumstances. We're gaining more godly wisdom from a message Philip has titled, Live and Learn. The story's told of a young bank executive who was about to get to the point of the pyramid in terms of the company's structure. And before he took the job over, he decided to talk to the leader whose mantle he was now about to carry, a man who was wise in years, experienced and successful in executive leadership. The young man asked him a series of questions, and and it began with this question. He said, what would you attribute your success to? The older executive said to the younger executive, two words, good decisions. The young man said, that's good. I understand that. I want to be that kind of leader. I want to make good decisions. But I've got a second question. He said, how do you make good decisions? He said, one word, experience. Yeah, I get it. That's true. You know, if you're going to make good decisions, you've got to be experienced. But here's my last question to you. How do you get experience that allows you to make good decisions? And the executive looked at him and he said, two words, bad decisions. (laughs) There's little doubt that we live and learn even from our bad choices. Let's be honest. Life is one great classroom in which experience becomes the best teacher. Over time, the wise person comes to see through observation and experimentation what works and what doesn't work, what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, what's vain and what's permanent, what God blesses and what God curses. Over time, through experience and experimentation and observation, the wise person will get it. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. 
And we're going to continue to work our way through chapter 7, verses 1 through 14, and we'll just get to a better place in the passage. In verses 1 through 4, Solomon encourages us to live and learn when bereaved. In verses 5 and 6, he encourages us to live and learn when berated. And in verses 7 through 14, he encourages us to live and learn when bewildered. So we live and learn when bereaved. Last week we saw that it's better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. Solomon would encourage us to contemplate our own death and our own demise. Often it renders a kick in the pants like nothing else does. That's the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4. So we live and learn when bereaved. But let's move on to verses 5 and 6. We ought to live and learn when berated, criticized, called on the mat. Let's read verses 5 and 6 again. It's better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Or as maybe the New King James would put it, better to receive a rebuke by a wise man than the laughter of fools. Verse 6, indeed a fool's laughter is quickly gone like thorns crackling in the fire. This also is meaningless. Solomon has lived long enough to know that it's better to receive a meaningful slap in the face than a meaningless slap on the back. The back slapping that's so much part of the party scene and the culture where there's so much meaningless talk, devoid of reality and honesty and transparency. He says, that's like thorns crackling on a campfire. They make a lot of noise, but they don't burn for very long. They're not like a good log. They're not like a good lump of coal. And so's the laughter of a fool. And for a few moments, let's drill down into this. Let's get practical. Let's get pastoral. We all bear the bites of unfair criticism. We can all point to them. And we all have the scars from the wounding of a friend that is now healed and being good for us. I wrote down a number of things to myself when I first studied this passage some years ago and then come back to it this week. Five things that we'll move through very quickly. But if you're dealing with criticism or you're thinking of giving it, here's some things to bear in mind. Number one, some people criticize because it's easier to see the faults of others. Some people criticize because it's easier to see the faults of others Now, Jesus tackles that, doesn't he, in Matthew 7, 1 through 4. He doesn't say you can't judge, which is often how that verse is interpreted. But he does say if you're going to judge somebody, you need to first judge yourself. What's the standard? Because it's not one standard for you and another standard for them. If it is, you're a hypocrite, and it'll come back to bite you. And then Jesus, you know, paints this hilarious, humorous picture. Don't be like someone pulling a toothpick out of somebody's eye while at the same time there's a six by four sticking out of your own. Jesus warns us here, condemns the censoring of others for their perceived shortcomings while all the time you are blind to your own faults. As someone has so memorably said, faults are like the headlights in a car. Those of others seem more glaring than our own. Isn't that the truth? I want to be mindful of that. Some people criticize because it's easier to see faults in others. And by the way, when you smoke somebody like that out, then you don't need to lose a lot of sleep over their criticism. 
If you dig down deep enough into any criticism, you might find a kernel of truth in it. But if they want to define your life by it, they want to make it a Supreme Court case. When you look at them and see the hypocrisy or the lack of standards in their own life, then you can pull the mat from out under their feet because when they want to call you onto the mat, because some people live in a critical condition. Their predisposition is against someone or someone or even you. They're never going to give you a fair shake. They've already made their mind up. The agenda's set, and you're part of it. Dismiss the criticism based on the critic. Some people criticize because they don't know the whole story. It's another thing to bear in mind. There's always two sides to a story. But if we're not careful, any one of us can quickly attach ourselves to one side of the story, maybe out of self-interest, Maybe out of a connection with that person. Maybe out of a sense of self-preservation oneself. And we can act impulsively. And the book of Proverbs warns us not to do that. Go over to the book of Proverbs again. Chapter 18 and verse 13. This is good wisdom. Time tested and proven wisdom. 18.13. What a shame. What a folly to give advice before listening to the facts. You better make sure you've done your homework. You better make sure what you're about to say to that person or about that person is actually true. You're not going on assumptions, presumptions, tidbits, sound bites. So we're warned here to be careful. Look at verse 17 of the same chapter. Any story sounds true until someone sets the record straight. How many times have you and I been embarrassed, you know? Oh, I didn't know that, so I'm sorry for what I said. Well, maybe you would have zipped it. You wouldn't have to make the apology, but we're all human. I've done it. You've done it. Got to be careful. In fact, this is particularly true when it comes to criticizing leaders in the church. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 19. Do not listen to complaints against an elder unless there are two or three witnesses to accuse him. Anyone who sins should be rebuked in front of the whole church so that others will have a proper fear of God. Paul is reminding Timothy here to be careful. The occasion for complaint against a leader is multiplied. That's why they need some extra protection. Unlike someone in the congregation, the sphere of their influence is pretty narrow. Or people speaking into their life or looking at their life may be limited. But not the pastor. Not the pastor or his family. He's exposed to the whole congregation. And so the opportunity for complaint, for misunderstanding, for misreading is multiplied. And that's why the pastor is protected here in this passage. And no complaint against him should be listened to unless it can be established clearly by witnesses. And if it is established and his sin is there to be seen, he's to be rebuked in public because, you see, his ministry is public. Unlike anybody else in the congregation, he's got a platform and a leadership platform that makes the exposure of his sin necessary. Some people, thirdly, criticize because it's about them, not about you. People are perceived as a threat. And so out of a desire for self-preservation, they attack the one who is perceived to be muscling in on their territory. This was certainly the case with David and Saul. Saul became very critical of David, very jealous, very envious, and went to hunt David down. 
And the reason was that ultimately he perceived that the people were shifting, that there was coming a new administration. He knew his days were numbered, that a young man had been set apart whose heart was after God. And so according to 1 Samuel 18 verses 8 through 9, Saul began to envy David and he had his eye on him. Happens to Paul, doesn't it, in Rome? Tells us about it in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 12. Says, hey, things are going well here, believe it or not. I am in prison. I'm not sure whether I'm going to get out of here and get back to you guys or not. But that's okay to be with Christ far better. I can live with that. And I'm here to tell you that things have fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. There are people in Caesar's house who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. How cool is that? Although I got to be honest, when it comes to brethren, some of them look at my example and they go, we got to follow Paul's example. We got to man up and be more bold in the presentation of the gospel. Others, sadly, he says, out of selfish ambition, out of vain glory, they're kind of using this time in my life with limited access to the church. They're using this time to kind of shove me to the side, promote themselves. Paul gets above it. Often thought about that passage. So easy to get dragged down into stuff. Gets above it and says, Christ is preached, God's sovereign. Let's keep going. But it's interesting. The critics of Paul, it was about them, not about him. When it came to Saul and David, it was about Saul, not about David. And you see it. You see it when new pastors come into churches. You see it when there's a leadership change in a company, the old guard who don't want change don't want that to be happening or perceive that the, the change is going to affect them detrimentally, they often begin to criticize. And, but the fact is, they're not criticizing the person, really. It's not about the other person. It's about them. Number four, some people criticize because it's easier to complain about problems than solve them. Wow, how true is that? So easy to complain, point out the problem, but you have no solution? These people lack faith, they lack vision, they lack perseverance, they want the old back. This is the crowd that longs for Egypt. Read about them in Numbers chapter 14, 1, following the naysayers, the grumblers. I mean, how can any Israelite in their right mind say, I, I want to go back to Egypt? Good night, come on. Slavery? Brick making? Doesn't make sense. They want to go back to what they didn't want in the first place. But it often happens. The naysayers can be like that. The grumblers can be like that. They don't make sense. Someone has said this. Some people have enough steam to blow the whistle, but not enough to pull the train. Some people are good at blowing the whistle, but not moving things forward. And they're often the loudest voices with the heaviest criticism. The naysayers, the grumblers. I love the story of D.L. Moody. He was kind of innovative in his day. We wouldn't see that looking back, but he introduced Sunday schools and boys and girls meetings and all sorts of things going on. They kind of upset the, the traditional apple cart. And so he was attacked for it. And one woman attacked him to his face one day and said, Mr. Moody, I don't like your methods. And Moody said, well, I don't particularly like the mother, but they're the best I've got. Tell me, what methods have you got? Maybe I can learn. She said, Mr. Moody, I've got no methods. I just don't like yours. To which he said, then I like my methods better than your methods. People like that. I've been amazed across my ministry to find people who want to tell a pastor how to lead a church. 
and preach a sermon, but they couldn't lead a group of children across the street if they had to, and couldn't preach their way out of a paper bag if they had to. But then, you know what? That's Adam, isn't it? That's the old self. We're all capable of fighting with that. Here's the fifth thought in closing. I'm coming back to the text here. Some people criticize because there is a fault to be corrected. There is a sin to be confronted. And wise is the person who hears the rebuke of the wise man, who's none of these things we've talked about. At times there are things about us and about me and about you that need to be straightened out. Sometimes the criticism is right on target. We stand guilty as charged. In fact, you read about that in Galatians 2 verse 11 when Paul confronts Peter because he's kind of caving into the Judaizers that are wanting Gentile believers to be circumcised, who want Gentile believers to come under the bondage of Jewish laws and Levitical laws. And Paul says, no way. That's to puncture the cross. That's to undermine the gospel. We're free from that. And he meets Peter, and he confronts him. You know what the old King James, I think, says? Because he was to be blamed. No getting around it. Peter, you did wrong. It seems that Peter may have received that rebuke wisely. Albert Einstein said, don't tell me what I do right. I know that. What I need to know is what I do wrong. I think we all need that ministry, don't we, in our lives? Back to Proverbs, Proverbs 9, verses 8 and 9, beautiful verses. So don't bother rebuking mockers. They will only hate you. But the wise, when rebuked, will love you all the more. Teach the wise, and they will be wiser. Teach the righteous, and they will learn more. I know it's a little stretch, but you know, the wise man goes, there, lay it there, right there, I can take it. And they'll love you all the more, as long as you don't have a biased agenda, as long as you're going to love them in the rebuke, as long as we've gone through some of the things we've talked about. It's a good thing when we are disciplined, rebuked. Have you ever read this verse in Psalm 141, verse 5? Psalm 141, verse 5. This is David. Let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. Wow. If they reprove me, it's soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. We might add, Lord, help me with this. I'm not good at this. And help me to understand there will be times in my life when a godly parent, when a godly pastor, when my boss at work or a policeman on the street call me on the mat and say, that's wrong, stop it, change, repent, desist, be this, become this. Lord, help me to see that as a kindness. And if you and I are going to get involved in that kind of ministry, the issue needs to be clear. It needs to be sin. Not some debatable issue, not some motive that can't be weighed for a point. It ought to be direct, preferably face-to-face and specific. It ought to be gracious and humble in its application. Friends and family are not there to reinforce us, but to sanctify us, mature us, and act as sandpaper smoothly, smoothing away the rough edges of our lives. Finish with this story. You'll find it in a book by William Sangster, Pure in Heart. 
William Sangster was a great Methodist preacher in London during the Second World War. And then he tells an interesting story about Alexander White, very famous for a book on biblical characters. He was a pastor in Edinburgh in Scotland, native country of my wife. And one particular evening, a friend of Alexander White comes in and tells him that a visiting evangelist in the city was rather scathing of a friend of theirs, a Dr. Hood. In fact, this evangelist had almost inferred that Dr. Hood was not a converted man. And Alexander White goes ballistic, Dr. Hood, not a converted man? He gets pretty uptight about it. And the friend says, Alexander, that's not all. He said, you're not a converted man? According to William Sangster, Alexander White encourages his friend to leave. Now, his friend is leaving, he turns around and he sees Alexander White putting his face into his hands in a bowed position. And he said, Please leave, 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 leave. I must examine my heart. That's striking, isn't it? That's humility. Very quick to defend another but very slow to defend himself, willing to see if there's any kind of truth in the rebuke. Better the rebuke of a wise man than the laughter of fools. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. There's a better way to live. And there's two paths that Solomon encourages you and I to take. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time this morning and your word for its rebuke of us. Oh God, we pray that you would work on us, take the sandpaper of your word, smooth off the rough edges, make us more like the Lord Jesus, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he had to rebuke, he did it in a measured, gentle, firm, biblical way. Lord, help us to hear Solomon's criticism of criticism and learn from it. Lord, lead us along the way. Point us in the right direction. For we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A prayer for humility. You're listening to Know the Truth with author, pastor, and Bible teacher, Philip DeCourcy. Today's message is titled, Live and Learn, and it's part of a larger series in Ecclesiastes called The Quest for the Best. You can listen to previously aired messages when you visit us online at ktt.org or order messages on CD when you call 888-644-8811. It's exciting to know that people all across the country tune in daily to study God's Word here on Know the Truth Listeners like Sharon, who recently wrote to Philip, saying, Your messages are full of biblical, spiritual teaching. It always strengthens my daily Bible reading, and it helps me share my faith by retelling things from your sermons. The Holy Spirit is certainly working through your ministry. We're grateful to have Sharon growing in faith through the hearing of God's Word here on Know the Truth, and she's just one of thousands who listen, influencing families and communities with the love and truth of the gospel. And it's friends like you who make this possible. Through your generosity, we receive the financial support to plan, prepare, and distribute these daily messages on the radio and on the web. Now, maybe it's been a while since you've made a donation to Know the Truth. Why not renew your support today? You can call in your gift to 888-644-8811 
or give online at ktt.org. Or if it's easier, just mail your donation to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And when your donation is $20 or more, we'll send you a resource to bolster your faith with the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. Request The Resurrection in You by Josh and Sean McDowell when you give today. And if you're brand new to Know the Truth, or if you've never reached out before, we'll also send you the free CD message titled Access Granted. It's a copy of Philip's recently aired Good Friday broadcast explaining how Jesus' death and resurrection changes everything. Just call 888-644-8811. There's more bold biblical teaching coming up next time when Philip continues his message titled Live and Learn. That's Monday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Dr. Sebastian Gorka is excited to start his own radio show. I'll be more excited to be joining the Salem team. This is the best faculty in talk radio. Dennis Prager, Hugh Hewitt, Larry Elder, Mike Gallagher, Eric Metaxas. Wow. We love it. America First with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. America First with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM 780 WAVA and weeknights at 10 on AM 570 The Answer. You'll always get this straight story from Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Look at ISIS. Who, who talks about ISIS? ISIS was on the front page every day beheading people. Nobody talks about them. Why? Because we have leadership in the White House. We have Donald Trump is reasserting American leadership in the world. It's America First with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM 780 WAVA and weeknights at 10 on AM 570 The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.